Thank you, Brother David. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be together in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Today we are going to continue in the God Is series. As we look at what we know to be a truth, God is trustworthy. Before we get started, though, I'd like to begin with a little exercise. If you have a dollar on you, and I hope you do at least for tithing purposes, will you please take it out for just a moment? If we look closely at this dollar bill, on the back we will see the words, In God We Trust. Isn't that ironic? It's not just on the one dollar bill either. It's on all U.S. currency, from the penny all the way up to the $100 bill. Money is the very thing most people put their trust in more than anything else in this world. We use it to buy safety. We use it to buy protection. We use it to buy pleasures and adventures. We put our trust into literal pieces of paper. However, I'm not completely sure we put our whole trust in God. I believe there are many things we put our trust into more than God, such as money, jobs, family members, retirement accounts, and many more, but I'll just stop there. Oh, and by the way, now that I see you have those dollars out, don't forget to put them in the offering plate on the way out. I'm, I'm just joking, and I sincerely hope I didn't offend anyone. Furthermore, on that point, though, we should not put our trust into anything in this world. We can see what happens if we do in Luke 12 when we read about the parable of the rich fool who stores up things on earth. This man puts his faith and trust into things here on this earth, and God calls him out for it in verses 20 through 21. Let us read. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Verse 21 continues. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I hope this is a warning we can all understand and trust in. There are many places in our Bibles that we can turn to that show us God is trustworthy and what it means to truly trust in Him. Like Psalm 34, for example, this whole psalm is about the happiness of those who trust in God. But let's take a look at verse 8 as it reads, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. We can trust in God because He is trustworthy. As we turn to 1 Samuel 17, we see a story about what it looks like to wholeheartedly trust in God, a story, quite frankly, that is vastly misinterpreted. I want to explain the setting of 1 Samuel 17 so we may fully understand this message today. The army of the Philistines were on one hill, and the Israelites were on another hill with a valley separating them. Goliath was a giant. He was an intimidating warrior who stood nine feet tall with impressive armor. Goliath stood and shouted at the Israelite army, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if you overcome him and kill, or if I overcome and kill him, we will become your subjects and serve us. David was sent to deliver food to his brothers and check on their well-being. David was simply doing a task that he was asked by his father, but little did David know he was actually sent to glorify God. God was using David in his divine plan. God knew David would stand up to Goliath. Goliath defiled God's name, and David glorified God when he defeated this giant warrior. 
I just want to say, I think it's important to understand this message is not about us being David and putting ourselves in David's shoes while our problems are Goliath. Again, let me say, we are not David and our problems are not Goliath. We should not put the details of our life above our faith or God. Our real Goliath was slain on the cross, and that was the atonement for our sins, something no one else could atone for other than Jesus Christ himself. Let us take a look at the definition of trustworthy as it is the theme for today's sermon. According to dictionary.com, trustworthy can be defined as deserving of trust or confidence. Then they list a couple of synonyms, dependable and reliable. Brothers and sisters, first, let me say, no one is more deserving of our trust than God. He is dependable. He is reliable. God alone is worthy of our trust. God deserves our trust because he is perfection. He is creator. He is omnipotent. He is almighty. He is omnipresent. And he is omniscient, just as we've heard my dear brothers preach to us these past couple weeks. As we read in Numbers 23, 19, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? We should trust God simply because he is trustworthy. God is never changing and always in control. You see, this passage is about God, not David. Today I'll explain three points on how God is trustworthy. First, David shows us that we can trust in God's divine plan. Second, David shows us that we can trust in God to save us because ultimately, God is the only one who can. And finally, David shows us that we can trust in God's will. I may sound like a broken record with these points today, but these points are very important, so please bear with me. David shows us that we can trust in God. Trusting in God is saying, search me, O God. Just like we read in Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24. Let me read. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I've heard before that fear is just misplaced faith. And personally, I love that phrase. As we see in the scripture, Saul and the army of Israel were not trusting in God. They were not placing their faith in God. But David was. David places his faith and trust in God throughout this whole chapter. You see, the true power in life is faith. Saul and the army of Israel's view of this situation is from a human perspective with little faith and little trust in God. For instance, when they ask, have you seen this man? They're more, more focused on Goliath's physical appearance and intimidating stature rather than focusing on the fact he was defying the armies of the living God. No one in the Israelite army was willing to fight Goliath because they were scared. Just as we read in verse 11, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, do they truly have faith in God if they are terrified to fight Goliath? Are they trusting in God's divine plan? Are they trusting that God's will shall be done? Can we relate this to our own lives? How can we be scared when we know that God is sovereign and always in control? We should trust in God. We should trust in God's divine plan, and we should trust in God's will, just like David has. In this scripture, David shows us that we can trust in God's divine plan. David puts his trust in God's divine plan as we read in verses 34 through 37, when he says, Your servant used to keep father's sheep. 
keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. David was willing to stand up for God because Goliath was against God. You see, it's our choice to stand up for God in whatever way that may be. David sees Goliath as a predator attempting to destroy God's sheep. David does not see this battle as just a mere military conflict. No. He sees this as a clash between the uncircumcised pagan Philistines and the armies of the living God. In fact, David has so much hate and disdain for Goliath, he doesn't even bother to mention his name when talking about him. As we read in verse 26, David asks, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Then again, as we read in verse 32, David references Goliath as this Philistine once again. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Now, church family, I have a question. Do we have this much hate and disdain for the things in our lives that oppose God? Or even the things that attempt to distract us from God? David also shows us that we can trust God to save us. Or just as we read in the praise to God in Isaiah 25, let me read for us verse 9. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him, and we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. But, and I can't stress this enough, church family, God can only save us if we put our trust in him and not worldly things or problems. Saul had confidence or trust in his armor, but only as long as David was the guy wearing it. You see, Saul was not trusting in God. Saul was not trusting in God's divine plan, but David trusted God. He trusted God's divine plan, and he trusted God to save him because ultimately David knew God was the only one who could save him. And David knew that God would save him because David was going to glorify God either way, in his death or in his victory. It's apparent in verses 38 through 39 that Saul is not trusting in God or his divine plan. Let us read together verses 38 through 39. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. You see, David is not putting his trust into worldly things to save his life. He is truly putting his trust in God to save his life. It's not up to us to save ourselves. There is only one way we can be saved, and that's by God alone. As we walk through the scripture, let's look a little further down in the passage at verses 45 through 47. Then David said to this Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And on this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that, our, that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, 
for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. As I said before, David knows God is the only one who can save him. David was willing to die to glorify God. David puts his trust in knowing that God will save him because he's going to glorify God either way. In his death or in his victory over this uncircumcised pagan Philistine, it's a win-win. God even tells us he is the only Savior in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 11. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. Lastly, David shows us we can trust in God's will. David, David knows no matter what happens, this is the will of the Lord, and he trusts in that. I must ask us, church family, including myself, do we truly trust in God's will just like David has? Not every day is going to be sunshine and butterflies, just as Brother Jordan preached to us last week. But when the times are tough, are we truly trusting that this is God's will, even if it's not an ideal situation or an ideal week? We must trust in God, and we must trust in his will. Just as we read in James chapter 4, verses 14 through 15, whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Or even in Matthew 6, when Jesus teaches us to pray, a prayer we even say here. Let us read Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, and feel free to join in. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Just as we say in the fourth line of that prayer, God's will is to be done. There's another phrase I love, besides the one I mentioned earlier in my sermon, and it's the phrase, Lord willing. Now, I'm sure we've all heard this before, but it's an easy reminder. God is always in control. That's why I love this phrase, because it emphasizes God is always in control. It is God's will that is to be done, not ours, and we can trust in that. We should trust in that, just as David has. At this point, I'd like us to read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the path of sinners, I'm sorry, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor seats in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in its season, whose leaves shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. We clearly, clearly see this come to fruition in 1 Samuel 17. Goliath is ungodly. He is like chaff in the wind. He perishes. David did not stand in the way of the sinner, just as Saul and the army of Israel did. David took the sinner out of his way. David was taking delight in God's will. He trusts in God, and he trusts in God's divine plan. You see, 
David is delighting in the law of the Lord or God's will, and he is trusting in God's will because he knows either way God's will is to be done. Let me read Psalm 145, verse 13 for us, and I will be reading an NIV translation. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. Or John chapter 8, verse 26, when Jesus says, I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I will tell the world. Just as we've seen in 1 Samuel 17, or as I've read in Psalm 145, verse 13, or even in John chapter 8, verse 26, the Lord is trustworthy. So in conclusion, I've made three points on how God is trustworthy. First, God has a divine plan that never changes. Second, God alone saves. Third, God's will shall be done. And I hope I didn't lose any of you in the weeds there, but I hope to have clearly explained and stressed the importance of truly trusting in God, because after all, he is trustworthy. I'm not saying that if you do these three rules or follow these three things, then your life will be perfect. That's not at all what I'm saying, and I hope it didn't come across that way. I'm simply saying that God is trustworthy, and we can always rely on him. As I close today, I'd like to leave us with a few questions. Are we truly trusting in God? Are we truly placing our faith in God and in his divine plan? Are we truly trusting God to save us? And last but certainly not least, are we truly trusting in God's will? Especially during these recent times, I know we have all found ourselves in a situation where we haven't been happy, but we must trust that this is God's will to be done, not ours. After all, it's his divine plan, not ours. I'd like to end with a prayer today. Let us pray. Lord, if there's anyone watching or with us that doesn't know you, I pray they realize you're the one who can truly save us. I pray the ones that do know you realize and remember you are trustworthy. I hope to have clearly preached this message as you have intended it to be heard. It's in your son's holy name we pray.